You know, about everything you and I know about God has happened because God has interacted with people. I believe God is a people person. I believe He enjoys them. And He obviously has invested an awful lot in people. He's not like uh, one brother of a pair of brothers that I heard about. Uh, One brother had gone on vacation and was asked to watch uh, the cat of uh, the brother that went on vacation. And uh, he called in the middle of his trip and asked his brother how the cat was doing. And he said, well, the cat died. And the brother was just distraught because it was just dropped so bluntly to him that his cat that had been with him for years had, uh, had died. He said, you know, you could have been a little more careful how you communicated that. He said, well, what would I say? He said, well, you could have told me the cat was on the roof one day and, you know, slipped and fell and you carried him to the vet and, and there he was there for a couple of days and he expired. And he said, well, okay. He said, okay, well, how's mom doing? And uh, he said, well, mom's on the roof. (laughs) You know, that fellow's not likely to make a very positive impact upon others, is he? I want us to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and learn precisely how uh, it is that our walk with people is really a measure of our walk with God. Our walk with people really is a measure of our walk with God. And the question we really need to press upon ourselves, really at all times, but especially this morning, is what kind of impact am I having on people? And because we trust the Lord Jesus, we really want to be people who have an eternal impact upon others. And yet, 95 research for decades now has shown 95% of us really are not making a difference in the lives of people eternally turning them to the faith gently, kindly, and winsomely, and to grow and make progress in Christ. Now, this is what has prompted our emphasis that we're calling Merry Christmas Athens. In your worship guide, you've got an outline of dates. Come November 10th through 12th, we'll do an M now, a missions now with Dr. Keith Idle. And if you can join us for lunch that 12th, we need you to RSVP just as soon as you can. And uh, then we will uh, have a great day on the 3rd where we will meet for our Christmas program at 4 o'clock. We're especially trying to accommodate the needs and the timing needs of our senior adults. Then on the 10th, we're asking all of our Sunday school classes to engage in a mission project in, um, uh, in, in our community, especially in an attendance zone that we have uh, selected. There's going to be some training, a couple of opportunities for training uh, for that that we will be uh, providing that you find in your Uh, worship guide, but here is what you can expect that staff will do for your Sunday school class for that time. We will prepare projects, we'll arrange some supplies, we can suggest a project, but then we will make an assignment from your top three, and we're asking for those by November the 16th. What we need from you is some flexibility, because the truth is, is that this is the first time we've launched something church-wide like this, and it's going to be a little messy, and we'll make some mistakes along the way, so we will need some flexibility. We will need your prayers as well. We advance the kingdom of God, Dr. Fish said, in proportion to the time that we spend on our knees. And I think he's entirely correct. We'll need to keep all of this simple. Vast, great simplicity. When you complicate things, you rarely reach people. We'll need your involvement, all of our classes participating, and then we'll need you to provide your own transportation. And then we will need your top three choices by Thursday, November the 16th. Now, what we will do with our children and preschoolers that day, I think is pretty neat. 
our preschoolers we're going to have here on the property during the mission projects in order to engage in their own mission projects, so to speak, here on the property. We're asking children, first grade to fifth grade, to accompany their parents on mission projects so kids can watch their parents do mission projects in the name of Christ in the community. We think that they will learn. And because this is the first time, we don't want to complicate it too much. We want it to be as simple as it can. Now here in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul explained to the Corinthians his impact upon them measured his walk with God. And I want you to begin reading with me in verse number 1 of chapter 3. And he said this, And I, brethren, could not speak to you, or excuse me, that's chapter 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. Um, I was checking on you there. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. Do we begin again to commend ourselves? Or do we need, as some others, epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? You are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly, you're an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. And we have such trust through Christ towards God. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. Our impact upon people measures our walk with God. If we're walking with God in the fullness of His Spirit in a way that pleases Him, we're making a definitive, decided impact upon people. And the way that we can tell that we're walking with God is by measuring our impact upon people. So, the, the question I want to ask and answer today is, what is it about our walk with God that our impact on people measures? Well, the first thing is this. Our impact upon people measures our credibility before God. Let me ask you, does God believe in us? I know that we are to trust in Him, but does God believe He can rely upon us? Well, if He did, that's something you can't see. You can't see what's going on in God's heart and mind. That's something that's invisible. But how can you tell if God really trusts me enough to entrust others to me that I might make an eternal impact on them? I think about the um, old radio Bible teacher, J. Vernon McGee. Do you know he passed away in 1988? And he is still heard today all over the world, multiple languages, teaching the Bible uh, in most stations around noon uh, during the day. Uh, J. Vernon McGee, in, in this passage, talks about a couple of folks that came to Christ because of his radio ministry in Texas, where he is from. And he's talking about this passage here, where people are epistles of commendation, letters of recommendation, in other words. People end up being our letter of recommendation. He said, I've got a couple of letters in Texas here, and read their letter about their conversion. But you know what's remarkable about J. Vernon McGee? J. Vernon McGee still has the old Texas drawl he's always had. He is unvarnished. He is unsophisticated. He uh, really does not speak with the eloquence of David Jeremiah or Dr. Stanley or Adrian Rogers. And I had a radio missionary in Columbus a number of years ago tell me that the preacher on their radio station that has the most conversions to Christ of all the radio preachers, including Stanley and Rogers and uh, Jeremiah, is J. Vernon McGee. He wins more people to the Lord through his radio broadcast. Now, you know why that is. He tells the gospel more often than the others as well. But his accent and his homespun way does not get in the way 
of his impact upon people. Do you know why? Because the man walked with God in holiness and in faith, and God used him. I, I don't want to measure him against some of the others. Don't, don't misunderstand me. But some of those um, things that uh, uh, some may think would get in the way, don't get in the way. And the man is still preaching the gospel 30 years after his death all over the globe. You go figure that out. Well, here in this text, Paul is worried and concerned about the same question. Uh, there are some that are challenging his credibility before the Corinthians. They're undermining his leadership. And so he says, well, now do we need now, when I come back, to have letters of recommendation, epistles of accommodation, uh, accommodation before you? No, no. You and what's happened in you is my letter of recommendation is what he's saying here. Now look, there are three levels of commendation or three levels of recommendation found here. Verse number one, do we begin again to commend ourselves? That's one level where you have to recommend yourself. You really don't want to be in that position. But then Paul goes on to a better commendation and recommendation. He said, or do we need, as some others, epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? Letters of recommendation to you or from you. Well, that's, that's better than commending yourself. But Paul goes on and says, here's the best recommendation, the best uh, commendation. Verse number two, you are our epistle or letter written in our hearts, known and read by all men. And that's the remarkable thing. The Corinthians were mired in all sorts of immorality, Paul says in the previous letter in chapter 6, verse 11, but God washed them and sanctified them and made them pure before God through the gospel that Paul preached. And they were radically transformed, they were changed, and the whole world could see that the power of God rested on Paul whenever he did ministry. So Paul's credentials, as one commentator said, Paul's credentials were not on paper, they were on people. And thus it should be with us all. More so than letters of commendation and recommendation and, and more so than any other human factor, the impact we've made upon people is what recommends us to others. So God demonstrates that someone is credible by making a difference in others through them. And, and, and these folks may not possess the education or the portfolio or the position or the titles of a, or, uh, that others may have, but the power of God rests upon their life and God trusts them enough to move through them. So can God rely on me? Does God think I am credible? Well, the way to answer that is to answer this question. Am I making a positive, eternal difference in the lives of others? So, so you and I can know that we're credible before God by how He uses us in our world, our work, our world, and with Merry Christmas Athens that we're engaging in. But there's a second thing. Our impact not only measures our credibility to God, but our usability to God. Just how usable are we before God? John Wesley, who uh, really didn't mean to found Methodism, but did anyway, uh, was asked about his ministry, and he said, all I can say is that my people die well. The people that he won to the Lord in the United Kingdom would come to Christ, and they would die in peace, not afraid of what was on the other side. My people die well. H.A. Ironside, the pastor of Moody Memorial Church for many years in Chicago, uh, was delivering a lecture at a place and an atheist sent a note to him saying, I'd like to debate you uh, about uh, atheism and Christianity. And H.A. Ironside took the note and just read it before the crowd and said, here's what I'll do. On such and such night, 
Mr. Atheist, I'll meet you here, but I'll do it on one condition. You bring a hundred people who've been improved by atheism, and I'll bring a hundred that have been improved by Christianity, by the Christian faith. The man gave up, walked out of the uh, facility, and never came back. In other words, Jesus Christ makes a difference, and he uses us to do so. Now, some say, I'm Christian, I trust him, I believe him, but they're no different from anyone else. There's no qualitative or godly difference in holiness, in ministry, in love, in sacrifice, in giving, in taking a risk before God in them and the rest of the world. And that is, that is a telltale sign that something needs to change. And at the end of the message today, after I finish preaching, we'll sing a song and we'll give you the opportunity to come before Jesus Christ and plead with Him to do something in you that makes you eternally and relevantly different in the lives of people. Our staff will be here, we'll invite you to come, and there you can give your heart and life to Christ in such a way that Jesus will use you to make a difference just like He did when He was here. Now verses 3 and 4 address our usability before God. He said, look at this. He said, clearly... You are an epistle of Christ ministered by us. In other words, you're not only a letter of recommendation for us to others, you are a letter of recommendation for Jesus. You show that not only has God put his hand upon us to where we make a difference with others, you show that Jesus makes a difference in life and in eternity. You're showing the world that Jesus Christ is real and makes a difference. So Jesus Christ impacted the Corinthians, but he did it through the Apostle Paul. So Paul and the Corinthians were making Jesus look good. Paul and the Corinthians were making others in Corinth want what they had. So Jesus impacts people, and he looks good doing it, and he does it through those who are usable to him. So if we are usable to Jesus, Jesus will use us. And let me alert you, he'll probably wear us out in the process. There's a good kind of tired, you know? And that's what happens when Jesus uses us. So the question is, am I usable to God? Well, you look at the impact that you're making upon people. If you'll make yourself available to Jesus, He will use you. If you're available to Jesus, He will use you in people, in community, work, family, and with Merry Christmas, Athens. He leaves no one on the bench. But there's a third thing in the text here. Our impact upon people measures not only our credibility and usability, but also our dependency upon God. Now look at one of the most startling statements you have probably ever read. In all the Bible, in verse number 5 of 2 Corinthians 3, not that, this is Paul speaking of himself and his missionary team, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. Now, does that startle you like it does me? This is not a novice pinning these words, saying, I'm not sufficient in myself. I have to look for sufficiency to God. This is not someone with a history of failure. This is not someone with a history of scandal. This is someone with a history of effectiveness. Paul was one of the greatest minds of the first century. We're reading him from the first century, and we're not reading anyone else other than the biblical authors. This is the Apostle Paul who was effective at planting churches. This is the Apostle Paul who articulated the Christian faith received from Jesus in a way that the Western world would get and is still getting. 
This is the one who took the Great Commission and implemented it. And because of his work, we've covered up the globe or attempting to cover up the globe with the name of Jesus. And this man says, this man says, my sufficiency is not of myself. I've got to get it like everyone else. And that is from God. I don't have the power. I don't have the wisdom. On this missionary team, there's not a collective. uh, we, We could collect all the resources that we have. And there's still not enough to get the job done. Our sufficiency is not of ourselves, it is of God. And I've got to tell you, I cannot tell you how many times I've gone before God with no other place to go. And I've turned to Him and I've said, God, I do not know what to do. I don't have enough. I don't have the wisdom. I sure right now don't have the strength. I don't have the motivation. I've got to come before you and give myself and yield myself and empty myself And I've had to come to the end of myself because I don't have anything else to give to the people. And you know what I've learned? I've learned that the end of me is the beginning of God. When I come to the end of myself, that's where God takes over. So the quicker I can get to that point, the more God will act and the quicker He will work. So this is what Paul is writing about. Look look what he says here in verse number 3. He says, you're an epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit. Who in the world can write with the Spirit? Well, I can write with ink plenty, but I can't write with the Spirit. And and then, um, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh that is the heart. Who can write anything on the heart? Who naturally, in and of himself or herself, can write with the Spirit on the heart? I sure can't. But there is a God who blesses His people and uses them when they walk in holiness and when they walk in faith that does that exact thing. He uses them to write with the Spirit on the heart and brings about changes in other people's lives. He has got what we don't have. This past summer, I traveled to Arizona and took Luke with me. Wanted him to have the opportunity to go to probably the, large wor- the, the world's largest business meeting made up of Southern Baptists. So I took him to the annual meeting of Southern Baptists, and I took care of all of his expenses while there. The boy doesn't have a bank account. He doesn't have any money. He doesn't, I mean, he doesn't, he's busted. He doesn't have anything. In fact, he owes me a whole lot. <laughs> but I took him, and so when we had a meal, and he needed a meal, he ate. And when he needed lunch, he ate. And when he needed dinner, he ate. And when he needed, when he needed ice cream in 112-degree weather, he got it. And when he needed a place to sleep, he got it. When he needed transportation, he got it. He had nothing because I paid for everything. And when Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again, he purchased from the Father all the resources anyone who serves him would ever need to make a difference in the lives of people. Folks, listen, we do little of eternal value until we rely and depend on God. And here's what God will oftentimes do. If you get serious about using Him, and this is why you need to be careful about uh, committing yourself and being used by God. You've got to be very, very careful. Because when you commit yourself to being used by God, God will arrange your life to where He will empty you constantly and frequently. God will not let you depend on yourself if you're going to be used by God. What God will do is that He will intentionally create circumstances. If you get too self-dependent and rely on self, He will intentionally create circumstances to where He will empty you. 
He will empty you so that you will depend on Him because you're on mission for Him and you and I do not have enough collective wisdom, enough collective power, enough collective resources to make a difference in the lives of people. And that's what Paul is saying here. Our sufficiency is not from ourselves. I looked at this member of my team. They don't know what to do. I looked at this member of my team. They can't convert the lost. The only place I can find any sufficiency is from Almighty God. So you can bring people to Jesus and shape them into His image when you look to God as your supply. If you depend on Him, you will see His power in your life. And if you trust Him and rely upon Him, He will impact your community and your family, your work, and use you with Merry Christmas Athens. Now I cannot tell you or emphasize strongly enough just how urgent it is that we get to a point where God can use us in the lives of people. As someone said a long time ago in my hearing, behind every door in your neighborhood is a broken heart. It reminds me what the great psychiatrist Carl Menninger said. Someone asked him one time, what should lonely, unhappy people do? And he said, well, lock your door, go across the street, find someone who is hurting and help them. And you know something? John 1.11 says that Jesus came unto his own. Do you know that's precisely what Jesus did? Jesus came and Jesus initiated this wonderful thing of salvation. Jesus initiated this wonderful, exalted experience of grace. It was in his mind He initiated it. He took care of it. And whereas if we go someplace, we should lock our doors. He never has. And the door is open today as He calls you to come to Himself. He wants to... Now, you need to know, if you come to Christ today, if you come to Him today, you've got to come in need. As if you need Him, because in fact, we do. You've got to come and admit my need. Lord God, I'm guilty before you and I need you. And then you've got to entrust your need to Him. Uh, Paul said, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have entrusted to him until that day. That should be your heart. You come and entrust that guilt. You entrust that need to him because of his cross and his resurrection. And then you're coming with the intention of magnifying his name. So when you come to Jesus, he's not going to leave you like you are. You've got to know up front. He's going to begin changing you. He's going to give you new desires. He's going to give you a new mission in life. And increasingly, over the weeks and months and years, that mission and those desires are going to begin to look more and more like Him. And He invites you to come today to receive Him on those terms.